and we've been taking little uh, side trips into some of the letters. So we, we took a side trip into Philippians for a few weeks, which is beautiful, one of my favorites. And now we're back in Acts 3. Um, let's pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you. Uh, last week, I, I forget who it was, somebody prayed and thank you for the liquid sunshine. And today we get the bright, sunny sunshine. And we thank you for that. We thank you for this place that we have to meet, for the people that you've brought together here. And Father, I pray that, that you will you'll teach us and that you'll draw us to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, back in Acts 3, and really quickly to recap from Acts 1 and 2, um, Jesus, Jesus has left. He's ascended back to heaven. That was Acts Acts 1, uh, in, in Acts 2, we see the Pentecost, we see the Spirit come down. And the whole book of Acts is really emphasizing the power and the work of the Spirit in the, in the early church. In Acts 3, today we'll, we'll go through the whole, the whole book, and uh, of course we won't be able to do all that justice. But we're going to try to focus on a few points. We're not going to actually see the word, uh, the Spirit mentioned in this whole book, or this whole chapter 3, which is interesting. But we see the Spirit working there. We'll talk through that a little bit. I kind of wanted to start with a, with a story, a little illustration um, that, that kind of touches on a theme from this, from this book, or from this chapter. So I've been working on this project. Some of you know I work for a, a tire company, and, and we, uh, we've been doing this project out of town. And the project's a little unconventional, breaking some rules along the way, which is kind of fun. Um, not legal rules. We're very careful not to break legal rules, but company policies are very much in jeopardy from time to time. We have, and like I work for a big company, and we have policies about buying things. Um, if you want to buy something in my company, you got to fill out a form, and you got to send it to this approver, and you got to explain why it is that I want this thing that I want to buy. Why is it going to be good for the company? And then that person has to run it to the next level of approval. And they may have to justify, or they might, I might get called again to explain again, why is it I want to buy this thing? How is it going to help the company? And am I not wasting money? We have to be careful. And it's for a good reason, because we don't want to waste the company's money. So in this project, uh, we're setting up a new office in a different city in Atlanta. And uh, part of the need of the office was we needed some screens so that we could have meetings and present content on the screens and share, share information. Well, normally... Procuring this kind of equipment would take days, if not weeks, to get all the proper approvals and get everybody to agree on what's going to happen. Well, this week, this, this project, I couldn't do that because it's all very confidential. Not anymore. I wouldn't be talking about it. But, but it was very confidential, so I couldn't even tell people in the company what we were doing. And so this was the week before the Super Bowl, and we need to buy all these TVs for this office, right? So I called I call my procurement guy that's got the, the company credit card and he can make things happen. I said, John, I've got a strange request. I need 10 TVs, big screen, and here's the list. Some are 55 inch, one was a 75 inch TV. Now that's a nice TV. <laughs> and I said, I need you to put it on the company credit card. And I can't really explain why. So, we good? And so, <laughs> he thought, well, that clearly is not the norm. 
And I said, but don't worry. Mike said it's okay. Mike's my boss. Mike has authority. He has integrity. That's all I had to say. Mike said it's okay. I had a truck full, I had a pickup truck full of TVs that afternoon. Because I said one word. Mike said it's okay. And we're going to see today. And Mike's a good guy, but he doesn't have the power that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> um, so today, in Acts, I'm going to go ahead and read through the chapter. Um, it's a little long, but I hope you'll forgive me and bear with me. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. We... we uh, we want to really focus on reading the word and then and then preaching. Um, and so I wanted to just go ahead and read all the text and, and get it out there because um, there's nothing I could say. It's actually more powerful than what I just said. Um, but but hopefully the rest of the things that I say may help us to think through it and, and uh, spend some time focusing on it a little bit. So 
as I as I go through the uh, this passage today, I want to I want to emphasize just a few points, and I'm going to tell tell them to you up front, um, so you can kind of watch for them as we talk about them. There's there's three principles I want to call out and focus on. The first one is that the power of Jesus' name is rooted in His authority over creation. The power of Jesus' name is rooted in His authority over creation. And our ability to call on this power comes from the love that the Father has for us. Our ability to call on this power comes from the love that the Father has for us. And finally, salvation comes to the sinner just like, in many ways, just like the healing that came to this lame man at the gate. Salvation comes to the sinner in many ways like this healing that came to the lame man at the gate. So let me talk for a few minutes about about the power of Jesus' name. That's a really big theme in here. And, and my, my little story at the beginning was to try to give us a very slight uh, illustration of the power that can be in a name. It's my boss, even though he's just a mortal guy, he does have some power in the company. So I, all I had to do was say his name, and I got what I wanted, even though it sounded crazy. But the, but the power of Jesus' name is far greater. It's far more profound. And Jesus has power over all of creation. We, we remember in the Gospels that he calmed the sea. He spoke words. And the sea that was storming and raging has calmed down. Um, we see that all things were made through him. Uh, you know, Weston told me he's been memorizing Colossians. And Colossians has this, this strong theme of the preeminence of Christ. Right? His, his lordship over creation. His his intrinsic, his image of the Father. And so we know that Jesus has power, rightful power over all of creation. We, we see in Colossians, in Him we live and move and have our being. And you know what else? Um, our bodies are part of this creation. And, and so we see when Peter and John are walking in here, and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. There's the power. The power of Jesus over creation restored this man's body. His body responded to that command just like, the, just like the sea and the storm responded to Jesus' words. He couldn't help it. He couldn't will it. It just happened. Now when it happened, what was going on? Let's, let's think a little bit about what Peter and John were doing. Well, they were walking in the Spirit. They were listening and they were obeying they were not forcing God to move. They were, not, they were not trying to direct God. God was directing them. So when they spoke to this man, it was in the will of the Father. They didn't call in a favor from God. God didn't owe them any favors. Right? Of course not. They were walking in obedience and faith. They were confident. Yes, they were confident. You can see the confidence in Peter when he says, Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Could you think of anything more confident than that? <laughs> I mean, he just ordered him to walk. There's no indication that he pre-planned beforehand to say, Hey God, if I, if I were to go up here and, and maybe say some bold words, do you think that, that you might be willing to, to honor those words? There's no indication of that. He just walked up and said it. But he had good reason to. Now their obedience took the form of words and actions. 
Because he said the words. And then what did he do? He reached out and grabbed the man and pulled him up. And the text says, uh, I love the way it says this. He took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. That's interesting. It's, pa- it's a passive voice. His feet and ankles were made strong. It doesn't even say who did it. But we know who did it. Because we're reading in the book of Acts. God did it through the Spirit. Right? The power. They spoke to the man. They pulled him up. And then what did they do? They spoke to the crowd. We'll get to that in a minute. But why were they so confident? Why did they have reason to be confident? Well, the Scripture speaks to the power of Jesus' name. And these men had walked with Jesus, right? They were walking in a place that Jesus had walked. This temple... And probably many of the people in the crowd at this temple had probably seen Jesus there, probably heard him preach. Probably had even witnessed maybe some of the arguments and and the controversies he had with the Pharisees. Quite possible. And it's possible that Jesus himself had walked by this beggar. And for whatever reason, the time wasn't right. Because Jesus did everything by time, by the will of the Father. Jesus could have healed that man, but he didn't at the time. Well, I don't know that Jesus walked by, so... So I'm engaging in a little bit of speculation there. But the people of the temple knew that the man had been there, right? He was known to sit at the gate and beg. The scripture tells us that. And these are only days after Jesus' crucifixion and and resurrection and ascension. This days we're talking about, not years. So this man was a known quantity at the temple. So what does the scripture say about this name of Jesus and about the confidence that his disciples had? Back in Luke... You know, Jesus sent the 72 out. And when they came back, what did they say? He said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They had observed that when they, when they called on a demon to leave a person in the name of Jesus, the demon obeyed. That's power. That is power. In John, in the upper room, Jesus promised his disciples. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That is an open-ended statement. That's something else. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Jesus also told his disciples, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Well, there's more than two or three here, and we are definitely gathered in the name of Jesus. He promised that he would be with us. Just think about that for a minute. He said he would be with us. He doesn't break his promises. He's here. And, and I feel that, right? There's a burden when we, when we bring the Word that, that we are being observed. You know, we, we want to bring truth. We want to speak truth. But He is here. Philippians 2 talks about His name. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. This name, this idea of the name being exalted. The Revelation even says on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Romans promises us that for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have all these, these references all through Scripture of the name, the power of the name. So what is this? Is it a magic word? Can we just say, by the name of Jesus, I want a Ferrari? No, I 
I still have the car I had before. No, no, because Jesus' name is not a magic word that we can just invoke. Jesus' name is power, but it's rooted in the actual power of God. It's the power of God, it's the power of Jesus over creation. But when we call on the, on the name of Jesus, it is, it is from the love of the Father. Let me give two illustrations because this, this idea, this open-ended promise that I'll give you what you ask for in Jesus' name, it can be, it can be misunderstood, right? And you, and you might hear some very strange teachings about this. Um, that I can ask for whatever I want. I can ask. But let me ask you, do we control God by the name, by using the name? Is that what Jesus did when he said, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give you? Did he hand over his will to us to exercise? His power now becomes ours to just do whatever we want. And, and you might think, well, a horse is more powerful, more strong than a person. But if you're riding a horse, you can steer the horse with the reins and the bit, right? Because you get to control where it goes. Is that what God is doing to us? Is he saying, hey, put a saddle on me and tell me where you want me to go. I promise I'll take you there. Is that what Jesus is doing when he says anything you ask? No. A ship is the same. And a ship actually is an illustration that James uses for the tongue. That an entire massive ship can be steered with a rudder. One person turning a wheel, turning a rudder can move a ship that is so powerful. Is that what God's doing? Is he saying, I'm the ship. You just steer me where you want me to go and I'll do what you want. No. No, no, no. God is sovereign. His will governs. So what does it mean? What's going on here? I like to think of it more like this. When we, when we come to Christ, when we come to the Father in humility and in faith, when He adopts us to be His own, this is key. We become His children. Okay? Now, for those of you that are parents, think with me. What does this mean? You know how it is with your children. When they ask for something, what do you want to do? What is your instinct? To deny them? Of course not. You want to give them what they want. You want to please them. Why? Because you love them. Because you're crazy about them. I remember when, uh, I remember when I first had Rachel. And I have three daughters now, so I've learned a lot about little girls. But I was just learning. Um, I was just learning because she was about one and a half. And I remember one day in the kitchen, she wanted something from the fridge, but she couldn't reach it. And she came up to me and she just batted her little eyes at me. I was powerless. <laughs> right? She could ask for anything. And, and it's kind of like that. that. That God has such a love for us. He wants to bless us. Right? He does. But God isn't like me where I'm limited. My judgment is limited. My, my willpower is limited. My resources are limited. So my kids might ask me for something that's foolish. I might actually give it to them. I hope I wouldn't do that too much, but it's possible. Um, they might ask me for something that I can't afford to do. I don't even have the power to execute it. So I can't do it. But our God is perfect. Our Father is perfect. So when we ask Him for something... His heart is to bless. He has told us that. He promises how much He loves us in the Scripture. And so when we come to Him and ask, that's His heart. To bless, to give richly and completely. But He's perfectly wise too. 
And if I ask for something foolish, he might say, hmm, no, no. Or he might say, not right now. Not right now, Kim. You're not asking at the right time. You don't understand, but you're not asking at the right time. But he can give anything. And, and I, want to, I want to challenge us on this because, because we, in our tradition, our Baptist tradition, we, uh, we're very cautious about, about charismatic things. And, and rightfully so, because they can be misunderstood and they can be misapplied. But I'm telling you, the scripture is full of promises. And if we ignore those, we're ignoring a powerful and generous thing. James tells us, what does James tell us? You have not because you ask not. But when you come and ask, don't come double-minded. Don't question and doubt. So, what does that scripture sound like? We should be cautious about what we ask for? Eh, no. Ask Him. Ask Him. He loves us. So, but we, should be, but we should think about what we want to ask for a little bit. Right? We don't want to ask for foolish things. We don't want to focus on temporary things. If, it's kind of like our lesson this morning. If we're walking in the Spirit, if we are thinking of the things and prioritizing the things God cares about, well, then we're going to ask for the things that God cares about, right? If we're aligning our will with His, then the things we ask for are going to be aligned with His will. And He can use that to bless us. It, uh, Jesus Himself said, Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Yeah. And often... Even, even James says, even if we feel like we're not wise enough to ask for things, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. It's all covered. We can ask for the wisdom to ask for the right things. And if we ask for foolish things, hey, God's wise enough to not say yes. <laughs> so we have, this, we have this gracious God. We have, we have the power of the name of Jesus. We do have that. But it comes from the love. It's not a magic word and he is not a genie. It comes from the love that he has for us as his adopted children. Now we, we see, you know, that in the, in the moment there, I'm kind of focusing on this moment that in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And I kind of want to walk through a little bit about what it says after that. Um, it's really interesting what happens. So... Uh, He said, he took him by the right hand and raised him up. Um, And then what happened? Sorry, I'm getting a little little off track. If you remember for just a moment, the very last verse of chapter 2, and we're in chapter 1, the very last verse of chapter 2 says, and they were added to their number daily, the the believers, right? I'm I'm misquoting it slightly, but, but basically the idea, God was adding to the church daily. And then the very next thing is this healing. Right? So it's kind of like a, oh, for instance, here's one that God added. Because he did. But this is a picture of salvation. And look what happened. So this man, um, when, he, when he was uh, healed, what did he do? He jumped up. And he followed them. He, he followed along with them. And I kind of want to walk through a few points of, of similarity between this healing and the salvation, the salvation of a believer, uh, of a sinner to become a believer. So there's five, kind of five points here. The first one is that where do we start? We start with a broken and helpless man. And he is broken and helpless. He can't, he can't provide for himself. He can't work. He can't walk. He can't do anything. 
And so where is he? Sitting at the gate begging. So he's in a position of humility, not pride. He's in a position of complete dependence on other people to help him. He's not in a position of saying that he can take care of himself. But he's not pretending. He's just out there. And where is he? He's outside the temple. He's at the gate. He's at the edge. He's at the gate. And it's at the beautiful gate. But he recognizes his own inability to provide. So he's, he's begging. And then God sends a messenger. And the messenger boldly speaks the name of Jesus. Right? In Romans we hear, well how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one preaches to them? That's what's going on here. Paul's pre Peter's preaching to them. To this man. Well, he preaches in a very succinct way. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. That's a pretty, uh, pretty brief sermon that he gives. But the man, the man jumps up. He responds. It's the power of the name. From weakness to strength. From health to vigor. From dragging his legs behind him if he had to crawl somewhere. To now he's dancing. He's running along behind them. Through the temple grounds. This holy place. Right? It's beautiful. He's, he's running with joy. He's not walking somberly in the temple. He's, he's ecstatic because he's been healed. And, he, and what happened now? Did the man heal himself? Did he even ask for healing? Did his faith heal him? There was no chance. All he wanted was a couple, a couple quarters. Hey, Peter, could you help me out? That's all he wanted. And Peter gave him so much more. Was the guy asking, was he, was he straining and working and having some faith? No. No. It was Peter's faith. It was Peter's action. And it was the power of God working on this man. The man could not heal himself. He didn't. He didn't even meet Peter halfway. He just sat. The Spirit moved Peter to speak. The Spirit moved Peter to lift him up. The Spirit healed and restored the man's legs. This is the power of God at work. Not the man. The man reacted. Then the next point. This is like, like the salvation of a person. The man reacted in a natural and predictable way to being healed. This totally makes sense. What did he do? Did he, did he stand up and try to act dignified and say, hmm, thanks, I'll be on my way? No. No, he said, wow, I've been healed. I'm going to jump around. I'm going to dance. I'm going to use these legs. I've never used them. I'm going to try them out. So he jumps around and he follows Peter and John into the temple, praising God. Of course he did. It makes sense that he would. And when, when a person comes to salvation, what do they do? They rejoice. There's joy. There's, there's relief. There's thanksgiving. Of course. There's no need to act dignified and careful and try to act like nothing's really changed. No, that would be crazy. It wouldn't make any sense. And what happens then, this fifth point, there was an obvious change. The people in the temple knew the man before, and they see the man now, and they say, it's the same guy, but he's not the same. Like, we know what he looks like. We know that he sat and begged, but now we see him jumping and dancing and praising God. We know it's the same one. And it's like that with salvation. All of these points are like that with salvation. We are helpless. We're spiritually broken. And our spiritual striving makes no difference. It doesn't help. Because God has to be the one to come. But He wants to come. And God sends messengers. And he, and he sends them to preach and teach. And the Spirit moves our hearts. 
And when the Spirit moves our hearts, then we're empowered. It's beautiful. How good is our reaction? Joy. Joy and relief at the forgiveness that's been offered for nothing. And an obvious change comes. So, so what then happened? Well, after this healing of one, and Peter turned to the crowd because he wanted to, like Jesus, he, he wanted to use this event to, to make some points here. Even though the event itself is powerful, he turns because there's a whole crowd of people in the temple. So there's the healing of the one, and it comes to a call to the many. And I'm not going to walk through this sermon again that he gave. It's really similar to the one in Acts 2. Because he reminds them of several, several points. But first he clarifies, who did the healing? God himself did the healing. And just to be sure, because he's talking to Jews in the temple. Just to be sure who we're talking about. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So you guys know who we're talking about here, right? And remember what he promised to Moses. A prophet. Remember that prophet that he promised? Yeah, that was Jesus. And remember what you guys did to Jesus? Like this was a couple weeks ago, guys. This wasn't very long ago. You killed him. You chose a murderer over him to be released. And Peter, I love this about Peter. We don't think of Peter as being a poet exactly. But he packs a lot into this sentence. He says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. You see how much life and death there is in that little sentence? You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And that's Peter, the poet, the fisherman. Mm. Filled with the Spirit, he is a poet. It's beautiful. So he, he comes and says this to them. And in, in Acts 2, it says they were, they were pricked. And what shall we do? It doesn't say that here, but it's a very similar sermon. He told them all that God had planned this. So you might have thought, yeah, you, you didn't know what you were doing. And he actually acknowledges, hey, look, you didn't know what you were doing. Your leaders didn't know what they were doing. But this was God's plan. This was God's plan from the beginning. And so now there's a call. What do you guys need to do? You need to repent. You need to acknowledge the evil you've done. That you killed this Messiah. And it was evil, though God meant it for good. Peter is saying, but when God moves, when God calls, he requires a response. And that's what he's saying. And I want to I want to kind of close, uh, if we could get the, the music team to come up. Well, I want to close with just a couple thoughts about this. Um, the man at the gate was... He was begging because he knew of his own helplessness. He wasn't pretending to be whole. Was it humiliating? Yes, it was humiliating, I'm sure. He may have gotten used to it over time. But he faced reality. Are you facing the reality of your spiritual condition? Do you think that maybe you might just be good enough on your own? Maybe. Some of us were raised in church. Some of us might not be able to think of any super horrible murderous sins that we've done. Maybe we are good enough. No, we're not. We're spiritually broken without Jesus. Just like this lame man. The lame man had the advantage, in a sense, that he could see his own legs. He knew he couldn't walk, so there was no argument. There was no question. He was lame. He needed help. We are the same. So I would ask, would you stop pretending? If you're pretending that you're good enough, 
Will you stop? Will you come and beg at the gate? Will you ask Jesus to make you whole? Because he can do it. And what's more, he wants to do it. He wants to do it. And for those of you who already believe, ask for what, what you want from him. Ask for what you need from him. Because he wants to give it. He loves us. He's our father. 